Macworld Podcast number 58 for November 15th, 2006, sponsored by MYLB Small Business Management Software. MYLB helps you to mind your own business smarter. I'm your host, Chris Breen, and what a busy couple of weeks it's been. I finally laid hands on a couple of second-generation iPod shuffles, and we'll discuss my review later in the show. My employers at Macworld have made it possible for me to lay hands on a new dual 2.66 gigahertz Mac Pro. Yeah, we're talking about the big old cheese grater Mac. Apple's updated the Mac Book, and no, I don't have one of these yet. And Apple's bundled a surprise in a recent OS update. And what else? Oh, yeah. Microsoft released its music player anticipated by all those people who ate the iPod, the Zune. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Later in the show, Macworld's editorial director, Jason Snell, has an interview with Philip Rue of My Dream App and Mac Heist, which are two Mac-centric ventures that have captured the imagination of Mac users across the globe. Jason and Philip will explain all, but before we get to that, let's talk about recent events. And when I think of events of the day, I think about my new Mac Pro. Up until a little over a year ago, I was a freelancer. Macworld graciously bestowed the title of contributing editor on me, but basically I was on my own, purchasing the gear I needed to do my job and spending the greater part of the late winter, early spring, filling out Schedule C forms for all my purchases from the year before. When I became an employee last November, I joined the ranks of those who get office gear as part of their jobs. But the thing is, even though our business is max, one must be just as strategic about asking for gear as you'd be in any other job. The secret is that you don't want to ask too soon, settling on, say, a MacBook when you know that there's going to be something really cool coming down the line. Turns out that I wasn't alone in being strategic. Dan Frakes and Rob Griffiths and I were pretty much of the same mind. When the Mac Pro was announced, we all pounced on the boss, and we wheedled and demanded, and we promised, and we kicked and we screamed, and anything we could do to get in line for the biggest, baddest Mac that Apple made. And this week, we were all rewarded. Check out this week's Editor's Notes blog, and you'll find Rob extolling the virtues of his new Mac Pro. And I've got a feeling that Dan Frakes is going to find some processor-hogging Mac gems to help justify his new Mac. As for me, I'm going to talk a little bit about it here and do my best to make my coworkers jealous. How? Simple enough. Unlike Rob and Dan's Mac Pros, mine is packed with two terabytes of storage. And that's two terabytes, as in 2,000 gigabytes, as in 2 million megabytes, 2 terabytes. It's more than my charm, good looks, and aged frame that make this possible. Truth is that I actually need this kind of storage. I'm increasingly working with video at Macworld. I put together a monthly QuickTime tutorial for Macworld's virtual CD called Breen's Bungalow, and video eats up a lot of storage. And then you have to back it up. And then you need yet more storage for Windows XP that you're running under both boot camp and parallels. And before you know it, you're tossing out pictures of your cats to make room for just one more album from iTunes. So see, I'm not just gloating, but I'm, yeah, I'm gloating a little bit. And having installed these four 500 gigabyte drives, I have to tell you that I'm terribly impressed with Apple's engineering. It couldn't be easier to install hard drives into this Mac. You just slide out the drive sled, attach the drive with the, so- the four screws that are attached to the sled, and slide the sled back in. Connectors on the inside of the Mac fit the drives perfectly. 
And here's the funny aside. When talking to our IT people who handle the gear orders and do lots of work for PC World as well, they told me that they'd order the drives as well as the cables. And I responded the cables weren't necessary as the drives just slid in. Really, they said. Oh, well, okay, that makes our job easier. So would you like us to install the drives and format them for you? No, thanks, I said. I think I can handle it. And they sort of said, okay, in that okay, but don't come crying to us when you screw it up kind of way. And I said, okay, right back to them, in that I think I can handle this really kind of way that wasn't too condescending because, you know, I rely on these guys to get me stuff. Anyway, back to the Mac Pro. So I install three of the drives, boot the Mac, format the drives, and then listen to nothing. This Mac is incredibly quiet. Outside of the lampshade iMac that my wife owns, this may be the quietest desktop Mac I've had in my office. It whirls a little bit when you first start it up, but after that, you hear nothing, and that's great. And it makes sense that it would be that quiet. Unlike the Power Mac G5 that came before it, you know, the one that came with like nine fans because it runs so incredibly hot, this top-of-the-line Mac has very few fans and is whisper quiet. Oh, and it's fast as hell. One thing that helps, and yes, we're moving on to a new subject, is that Apple has increased the speed of Rosetta, and that's the emulation software that allows Intel-based Macs to run applications written for PowerPC Macs. They did this without a lot of fanfare that I recall. It was something that was rolled into the 10.4.8 upgrade, and according to Jim Galbraith, who's Macworld's lab director, some systems are showing performance gains in emulation of more than 30%, which is really impressive. Fast is good, so if you have an Intel Mac, haven't yet upgraded to 10.4.8, and routinely run applications like Microsoft Office and just about any Adobe application, it's time to think about moving up to the latest version of Mac OS X. And speaking of updates, Apple has updated the MacBook. The new MacBooks still available in white or black now include Intel Core 2 Duo processors, which Apple claims makes these MacBooks up to 25% faster with some applications. They come with more RAM and storage than the original MacBook. The $1,100 white MacBook has 512 megabytes of RAM and a 60 gigabyte hard drive, while the top of the line $1,500 black MacBook ships with a gigabyte of memory and a 120 gigabyte hard drive. Oh, and the two 2 gigahertz models also have a double layer super drive, and the original MacBook offered just a single layer super drive. They all ship with a glossy screen, 13-inch display of the original, and for me, that may be the deal killer. I mean, I really like non-glossy displays, and the one laptop that currently has that is the MacBook Pro, and of course, I like its hunkier graphics card. When I next try to wheedle a Mac out of my boss, and it's probably going to be a while, it may have to be the MacBook Pro rather than the plain MacBook, cool as that MacBook may be. And this week, Microsoft released its digital music player, the Zune. Now, the Zune won't work with the Mac, and it doesn't support music purchase from the iTunes Store, so it's not of huge interest to Mac users, but it's worth keeping an eye on Microsoft's digital music efforts. We've heard the term iPod killer to describe other music players more times than I care to recall, and it's never turned out to be true. The Zune doesn't look to be any greater shakes than previous iPod killers, but the difference here is, of course, that it's marketed by Microsoft, a company, as demonstrated by the existence of the Xbox, that doesn't mind losing millions of dollars in an attempt to slowly but surely make inroads into profitable markets. Will Zune succeed? I don't know, honestly. There are enough people out there who hate Apple that I could see a fair number of Zunes selling simply out of spite. If Microsoft puts together a decent store, makes the store and Zune work together, and releases a few different models to address the needs of people who want choices other than a 30-gigabyte model, maybe they'll do okay. 
But first, they need to make the Zune as cool as the iPod, and frankly, I don't see that happening right away. And that's the latest. Coming up next is Jason Snell and his interview with Philip Rue of My Dream App and Mac Heist fame. Before I turn it over to Jason, a word from our sponsor, MYOB. Are you a small business that loves the Mac? How about your accountant? How much do they love the Mac? With MYOB's easy-to-use small business management software, it doesn't matter. MYOB will send your accountant a free copy of the software, Mac or Windows. It's that easy. Since 1989, MYOB's award-winning software has empowered small business owners to manage their customers, vendors, inventory, payroll, and, of course, their accounting. To learn how MYOB can help your small business, visit myob-us.com. MYOB. Mind your own business. Smarter. And now, as promised, Jason Snell and his interview with Philip Rue. Take it away, Jason. I'm here with Phil Rue, the uh, mastermind behind My Dream App and the new Mac Heist. Phil, thanks for coming on the podcast. Sure, thanks. It's your first podcast? Um, yeah, one of my first. Uh, <laughs> I think I've only done one before this. So. Yeah, it's a brave new world for all of us. Uh, <laughs> why don't you tell me a little bit about um, where you are with My Dream App? I mean, this is the website that's sort of the American idol of Mac development, and uh, you had a series of, of, of votes, and, and you came up with... Uh, or the community, I guess, to be fair, came up with three winners in uh, in the contest. So, so where are those apps now? What's going on? Um, well, we've actually begun development on the uh, three winners. Um, so currently, um, each of the three developers, Jason Harris, uh, Martin Ott, and Austin Sarner, are working on their uh, each of their applications with the winners. So work has started. We're currently working out exactly what kind of a feature set we're going to be putting into these apps and the UI. And hopefully um, we are putting all this in, in the front on the website, so uh, we're going for a totally transparent development process here, so you'll be able to see the progress as it goes on MyDreamApp.com. Any bets about uh, which one of the three is going to be the most successful when all is said and done? I mean, there's no more voting, so you're not tampering with any voting at this point. <laughs> it's totally up in up in the air right now, but uh, you know, Atmosphere did garner the most votes. Um, we'll see how that translates in sales, but um, I guess for now, the the best prediction would be that Atmosphere would do um, would do well among the three. But they've each uh, they've each gotten their own fans, um, so I think I think each of them will be pretty successful actually. I definitely voted for Atmosphere. Uh, did you have a favorite? Now, now that all is said and done, is there, uh, are you happy with the results? Are you disappointed that one of your early favorites didn't make it? Well, the two of my favorites that didn't make it were Blossom, which was uh, this kind of virtual plant that would respond to your productivity. Um, and I was a little bummed that uh, that dropped out, but it did make it pretty far. Me too, me too. I was really sad. I actually didn't <laughs> vote for it the last round after voting for it every ra- time before that, but okay, yeah. it's it's a little bit sad. Mm-hmm. And what was and, the other one? Uh, I guess the other one was uh, Hijack, which which was a, a forum aggregator. Right, and, very uh, controversial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that that had a lot of community support, and it actually just didn't make it into the top three by only a few votes. Yeah, it was um, three or four votes. It's pretty amazing. With all the votes cast that it came down to, to that, that close between it and uh, mm-hmm. Cookbook, right? Yeah, yeah. But the good thing is that Hijack uh, is, 
you know, I can't say for sure right now, but there's a lot of grassroots support for um, it being developed. So there are developers who are very interested in making it a reality. So I wouldn't count Hijack out yet. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if somebody decided they were going to try to do Hijack anyway. They, this, it was so well supported by such a, a, you know, a large group of people, not quite large enough to make the top three, but definitely a lot of really vociferous support for, for that. Oh, program. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Take us back a little bit. How, how did you um, come up with the idea for my dream app? I mean, how did this the whole thing get started? Well, you know, I'm actually one thing that a lot of people assume is that I I am a developer myself, that I I'm a programmer, and I'm not. And uh, I've always, you know, I've always had ideas of my own that, and I've always been trying to work with developers on uh, some applications, and it's tough and. I felt that there are people like me out there who have these ideas, um, but there's really no easy way to get this, get the ball going and have something made. So I guess the main idea behind my dream app was definitely that um, any person, uh, you know, without programming experience could somehow get, get that idea in their head closer to becoming a real app. And uh, the other part was that we wanted this process, this entire process, to be totally transparent get a lot of community interaction going. So, so you've definitely sort of identified more with the contestants than with the developers in this scenario. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. Um, and uh, I think, uh, I mean, we got a lot of submissions. Um, there's, there was definitely a lot of ideas out there. Um, we probably, I, th- I think we got nearly 4,000 ideas submitted. And, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of proved, at least, at least to me, that there are there are people out there with good ideas, um, and uh, I'd say that most people were pretty satisfied with the 24 finalists that we began with in the contest. Now, it was an interesting mixture, too, of some people who just sort of had big ideas and other people who's, who, who were more of a uh, coming from a design bent where they, had, they could picture what it was. Um, and mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting split where some people, um, and, and as the voting started, everybody suddenly realized, wow, I need to show people what this app is going to be or they're not going to get it. Yeah. You had two groups. You really had these people with the big ideas, but then you had the people who had this sort of beautiful kind of Photoshop skills and could make mock-ups. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it turned out that you really needed to have the, the sizzle. Um, you just The steak wasn't quite enough. You, you needed to have that <laughs> sizzle, too. Yeah, um, I was actually, one thing that did surprise me, I will say that things like mock-ups did uh, definitely have a, a large effect in the um, voting results, but that these people, they they weren't, you know, UI designers, they weren't website, um, they weren't web coders, but I guess just just because they wanted their idea made so badly, they somehow managed to put together these, these great websites that displayed their ideas, they People who had never opened Photoshop in their life were coming up with pretty amazing mock-ups, and we were just all surprised by uh, by what they came up with. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, now the developers um, who were involved, who are now developing these products, I, I would imagine how it worked is that you went to them and said, you know, here's an opportunity. You're going to sort of have a built-in audience, some built-in research about whether, you know, built-in market research essentially about whether people are interested in these products. And in the end, they give a percentage to whoever is the winner who came up with the idea, but they also get uh, a viable product to develop. Was that basically right. the pitch? Uh, yes, it was. It was actually um, the easiest pitch of my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I came to these three developers, and uh, I it actually probably took under an hour each to just 
convince them, and they were on board. They loved the idea of having these people involved. I mean, usually as a developer, the interaction with the community is limited to mostly bug reports, that kind of thing. But they were each really receptive to the idea of having the uh, users more involved and uh, really excited about the possibilities of what these people could come up with. And um, they they signed up immediately. Now, are you um, thinking that down the road you might revisit my dream app uh, and, and do another another round? I mean, I, I hate to, to strain the American Idol metaphor, but there is <laughs> there is that that you know they let it rest for a little while and then it comes back later and they do it again and they do it sort of just often enough so that you're probably not, although you might be sick of it, but you you might not be sick of it. Are, are you thinking it's a one shot deal or are you thinking this could be done again in a little while after the smoke is cleared? We're definitely we're definitely looking into um, I guess something like a C- Season 2 of My Dream app. It largely depends on uh, when these apps, the initial winners, are developed. And uh, once that happens, I think I think it's a likely possibility at this point. Um, right, you've got to get I'm the getting... albums from the first season of American Idol <laughs> out before you can... Yeah, of course. I mean, like, uh, I'm getting emails every day from people who are, who are telling me, like, oh, wow, like, I just, I didn't know about this until the final round of voting and I wish I was around the beginning so I could submit this idea I had and uh, there's definitely a lot of people um, who who want to be involved from from the start next time so I'd say I'd say it's a very very likely thing probably gonna happen so in the meantime we have Mac heist which is your latest endeavor your la- your latest uh, big idea kind of high high concept website Um and I know that the last time I visited there, it was uh, a website with a big lock on it. So I, I, is, it st- is it open to the public now, or is it still sort of an invitation-only affair? Yeah, um, we're, still, we're still running it closed um, right now. Uh, we were actually, this whole invite thing was, um, we, weren't, we weren't exactly sure how long uh, we would keep it going. But uh, frankly, like, it's just been, it's, it's been a huge success. I mean, we've... What it's basically created is this community of people who want to be involved, who are really excited about this, um, which is a great dynamic. So, well, it's the velvet, um, it's the velvet rope, right? You know, yeah, if, if exactly. everybody could get into the nightclub, it wouldn't be popular. But if you got to know somebody who has an in, then it's you got to be there. Yeah. So um, this this invite thing, uh, we're not we're not sure yet how long we'll keep it going, but. Definitely at least for another week for, for the second heist, and we'll see how it goes. So, so explain it a little bit. Mac Heist is a website that is sort of, how would you describe what Mac Heist is? I guess uh, it could be best described as a series of weekly uh, what we call heists, which are kind of online games slash missions that we give to our members. And uh, basically they're, they're kind of hacker slash um, thief-themed missions where people are going to uh, Mac websites and, you know, quote-unquote hacking them for, for various reasons. Or in the first heist, what we did was we had we had our members um, help Mac rumors get some uh, – fake Apple iPhone specs and, and photos. Important to note, not actual <laughs> iPhone <Right>. specs. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I, I don't know. It's actually, um, I thought we made that pretty clear, but um, we've actually been getting people who, who have been asking, even like Apple employees asking, uh, is, there, is there any way I can get in trouble for participating? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so so we're doing these weekly games, and as, you know, as a reward for completing them, our members are getting a lot of free software. They're getting uh, money off this final bundle that we'll be selling uh, in the week of December 11th. 
So, so uh, similar to voting in my dream app and getting some uh, basically prizes for for um, participating, uh, people who complete the Mac heist. Uh, heists are also going to be getting a reward at the end of it that's a piece of Mac software? Uh, yeah. So, for example, for the first heist, uh, we're give, we've given away um, three three apps um, that are normally combined about $40. And, uh, I mean, what this basically is is for developers, it's a lot of, a lot of exposure, um, right. which is pretty difficult normally for smaller shareware developers to get. And uh, the users, of course, it's free software. So right. I guess the discover... Yep. It gives the developers the chance to get their, their apps out in front of people and they try them out and then theoretically the next version comes out and they become a, uh, a paying customer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the idea. Sounds great. And, you, and the way it works, it's not just sort of clicking around on web pages. You're, you've got some stuff going on on the web and you've got some places that you have to send email messages and there's just a whole bunch of different things um, that they have to do. It's one of these uh, essentially immersive web games, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds, you know, it sounds like a lot of fun, and I know that the uh, the the invites and the requests for invites have been going fast and furious in the email <laughs> threads that I've seen. So um, yeah, definitely. And so you said that it's going on through December. Uh, yep, it should. Um, we'll be doing that final sale that I mentioned uh, starting December 11th, and that will be a week long. So it'll end uh, on the 18th. That sounds great. Now, now. For listeners of the Macworld podcast, I believe uh, there's going to be a special URL that they can go to at MacHeist. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So basically what we've done is we've set up um, a link that listeners, um, so if you go to MacHeist.com slash Macworld, um, you'll be able to snag a free registration without, without an invite ticket. So hopefully Con- you guys Consider it my invitation and your <laughs> invitation to the people listening to this podcast right now. Mac Heist looks really interesting. Uh, my Dream App was a huge amount of fun. It was great to see not just the ideas, but to see the community really engaged in what software they like, what what you know, what stuff they want to use, what what really defines the kind of software that Mac users get excited about, and it really did that. And so, you know, thanks for putting it together, and I'm I'm looking forward to the next one too. I gotta say, that's that's great to hear. All right, Phil Rue, thank you very much for being on the Macworld podcast. Very nice interview, Jason. Thanks. And now to me and my impressions of the second-generation iPod Shuffle. At the risk of revealing more than you need to know about how we make sausage here, I need to tell you a little story. When I first took the reins of this podcast, I needed to interview myself about a story I'd worked on, and this talking-to-yourself stuff can be a little awkward. So to work it out, I used the Mac's text-to-speech feature and Kepstrel's Diane voice to act as an interviewer. For the most part, the feedback I received was fairly positive. Listeners understood that I needed some way to pull this off without having to resort to simply reading the story. But one guy, and yeah, there's always one guy, summed up my efforts as, quote, awful, awful, awful. Now, since he swore he'd never listen again, I needn't worry about offending him. But I took his feedback to heart and swore I'd never interview myself again with a computer voice. Instead, I've gone to great expense to lure from retirement one of Europe's finest mimes who will, without making a sound, query me about the second-generation iPod Shuffle's pros and cons. Take it away, Marcel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. It is useful to remind people that it's a little silly to knock the shuffle for its lack of display. I think we pretty well covered this when the first iPod Shuffle came out. If you need to quickly navigate to a particular song, this is the wrong iPod for you. Instead, you should think of the Shuffle as your personal radio station. 
program it well, and you won't care what song it plays. But if you program it poorly, you know who to blame. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. I did say that some people would find it less easy to use than its predecessor. This is largely due to its size. This iPod is really, really small. If you use it the way Apple intends, which is basically switching it on and pressing play, it's not at all hard to use. The wheel is the same size as the one on the original, and it's just as easy to manipulate. But this shuffle really has some tiny power and playback switches. Unlike the original shuffle, this one doesn't have a button that tells you how much battery charge is left. Instead, you have to quickly switch the iPod's power switch on and off, and with such a tiny switch and fingers the size of mine, this is not easy to do. Do it right, and the LED grows green, amber, or red, and the iPod keeps playing. Do it wrong, and the iPod stops playing, and you have to press play again to get it going. And those LEDs are really very small. In a bright light, they can be hard to read. One other tiny complaint, I missed the USB connector that was on the original shuffle. It was nice carrying just the shuffle to sync it to other computers. With a new shuffle, you also have to carry the included dock, which, to be fair, is really portable, but it is another thing to pack and potentially lose track of. So we'll look on this as yet another third-party opportunity. I'm sure some enterprising developer will create an adapter that attaches to the bottom of the shuffle that carries a male USB connector. What's that? What are you what are you doing? No, no, really. I've seen the trapped in a glass box routine a million times. Oh yeah, and the walking in a strong wind thing too. No need to do them again here. It's this is I mean this is audio only. Right. Yeah, as you suggest, the second generation iPod shuffle is noisier than its predecessor. When you A B it against the older shuffle and a good set of headphones or speakers, you'll detect a slight hiss between tracks and in quiet tracks. It also doesn't offer the richer bass that you get with a first-generation shuffle or the current iPod Nano. This isn't terribly noticeable until you compare one iPod to the other. Most people will think the bass is just fine. Yeah, that's right. To a degree, the iPod's noise is forgivable. First of all, the thing costs only 79 bucks, so one shouldn't exactly expect an audiophile quality player, though granted the original shuffle was closer to the mark. But then there's this. The shuffle was designed for the active iPod owner, someone working out in a gym or jogging through a noisy city park. In such clangorous environments, it's unlikely you're going to hear the hiss anyway. Would I be happier if the iPod offered better sound? Sure. Better is always better. But it's not so noisy that I'm distressed by its sound. In comparison, it just doesn't sound quite as good as the original, but its sound is good enough. Right, right, the positives. A gigabyte of storage gives you more than a full working day's worth of music. With default AAC encoding, you can fit nearly 17 hours of music, podcasts, and audiobooks on the thing. And the Shuffle's battery provides enough playtime to play nearly all of it. You see, although Apple suggests that the Shuffle can play for 12 hours on a single charge, in my tests I got over 16 and a half hours of continuous playtime. As with other recent iPods, Apple under-promises playtime in order to make sure that its promises hold out, and then some, under real-world conditions. Like the previous shuffle, you can divvy up storage so that some is reserved for data and some for audio. And with recent versions of iTunes, you can set a volume limit for the shuffle, which is a nice thing for parents who are worried about their kids blowing their ears out before they hit puberty. So, to sum up. The new shuffle is really cute. It works great in those press-play and stop-mucking-with-it moments. It holds plenty of music, and it's nearly an impulse buy at $79. 
I hope that this will be the smallest iPod that Apple makes, as anything smaller is going to go missing more often than not. And I wish the sound was a little cleaner. But all in all, it's a worthy music player. And so much for the shuffle. Before we wrap it up, I'd like to request again that if you have questions that you'd like me or any of the Macworld crew to answer, please record your question as an MP3 or an AAC file and send it to my attention at mac911 at macworld.com. Do so, and we'll try to air your question and our answer in an upcoming podcast. And that does it for this edition of the Macworld Podcast, sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Thanks to Jason Snell and Philip Rue, Marcel, and, of course, you for listening. This is Chris Breen reminding you you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. I'll see you next time.